Now, today we are in a service that stands alone, meaning that it's not a part of a particular series that's going to have a couple other weeks that follow it. It is a meta-series. It is a, I don't know what you call it, but over time, we want families to worship together. And so we took some time today to walk through why do we do what we do in a worship service? And so Michael, Neil, and others have explained very well why do we do what we do? We don't just come on Sunday mornings just because the building is open on Sunday mornings. We come here for a very specific purpose, and that is to bring glory and honor and praise to God. And something happens to us in the midst of that that won't happen unless we participate in worship. We can walk into the building and watch a lot of other good things happen or watch a lot of good things happen in the lives of other people. We can get caught up and rightfully so in the emotion of it. Nothing wrong with the emotion. But nothing of eternal significance will happen unless God takes the center stage and God drives it for us. We can hear great music. We can hear solid teaching. But unless God does the work, then we will just gather and it'll be a nice, wonderful time and then we'll go home. So we gather each and every Sunday morning primarily for God. Now, have you noticed this to be uh, true? I think most of us would feel this way. That when it comes to life, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily, people want something from us in life. Now, if you are a grandmother or a mother, you say, yep. This is the first thing that your kids ask. When they get up in the morning, do they say, mom, I just want to find out what can I do for you today? I just have had this burning desire as I've been sleeping just to say thanks for all that you've done over the years. And uh, so now, you know, I'm seven now, mom. And so I just want to come and say thanks for everything. How can I give back to you? It's not what happens. In fact, I've talked with many women over the years, my wife being one of them that said, uh, boy, there was a point in time where it just seems like everywhere you went, somebody needed something from me. And it just gets exhausting. If you are a teacher, your students need something from you. If you're a coach, your players need something from you. If you're a boss, your employees need something from you. We could go on and on. Primarily, not exclusively, but primarily in life, people want something from us, don't they? Now, this is where it gets to be really good news. Primarily, God wants something for you. What are we going to add to God? What does he need from us? Absolutely nothing. Primarily, God desires something for us rather than from us. Again, not exclusively. Of course, he asks for some things from us because in many ways, that's how we grow, develop, etc. When we give, sacrifice, etc. Primarily, though, God wants something for us. Now, how about our church? Please hear this. I can speak on behalf of every leader in our church, every elder, every deacon, every lay leader, every person who sings. I promise you, primarily, we want something for you. We are not looking primarily to get something from you. Primarily, we want something for you. That's how our whole church is structured. It's how our ministry is structured. This is why we do what we do. What do we want for you? There's going to be four things. I'm going to be able to walk through them very quickly this morning. We'll see this in the scriptures, how this is shown up all throughout. But there are four things that we want 
for you. Number one, we want a responsive heart stirred by God. We want your heart to be in a responsive manner towards the person of God. And when God stirs it, we want you to say, yes, Lord. And if he doesn't stir it, then don't say yes. If he moves you, then do it. If he doesn't move you, don't do it. So when it comes to uh, volunteers here uh, at the church, you know, from time to time, we, we need people um, to be able to do things in order to make things happen. If God is not stirring in your heart, don't do it. If he is stirring in your heart, do it. We want a heart in you that is stirred by God and that you respond to it. I want to give you just two brief examples. This will be the longest passages we read this morning. But Exodus chapter 35 will be up on the screens. Now here's what's happening. God has given instructions to, the, to Moses, to the people of God, in order to, uh, to, to worship well. And here's uh, how the story goes all the way back in Exodus 35. Then, all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart was stirred. And everyone whose spirit moved him. And they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting. And for all its service. And for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All of whom, all of whom uh, were of a willing heart brought broke. Uh, brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. I just, I want a, I want a ram skin. I want a tanned ram skin at some point in my house. Everyone who can make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the, in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple uh, and scarlet yarns and fine, uh, tw 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 uh -huh, that word, linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goats here. And all the leaders brought onk stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices from oil and light and for all the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women. The people of Israel, whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Why would we spend all this time going through difficult words and all sorts of colorful things that we don't see anymore? Because it didn't matter how small it seemed, they brought it to the Lord. And when the Lord stirred their heart, they said, yes, Lord, and they brought it to the Lord. Now, the very next chapter, this is so great, Exodus 36, listen to this. Moses, there it is. His voice is much better than mine, by the way. And for sure today, his voice is better. I really do love that guy's voice, by the way. It's a, it's a British guy. If you haven't heard of it, please, please check it out. Right. Where was I? Moses is calling. So, hey, craftsman, in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come do the work, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for, the work, for doing the work the Lord has commanded us 
to do. And you know what Moses ends up telling them? Quit. You've got so much you've brought that we can't even use it. There is such an abundance that we have right now for the worship of the Lord. I'm going to ask you, please stop. Now, have you ever heard of a church doing this? We have so many people volunteering. We're going to ask you, please stay at home. We have more money. We don't even know how to spend the budget that we have. Keep your money. We have more musicians, more singers. We're having to turn people away. When the Lord stirs in your heart, say, yes, Lord. And if he doesn't stir, don't sweat it. Let me say it this way. We want hearts to be moved each and every Sunday while we're here. And in this service, we want it to be moved in a variety of ways. We want your emotions to be moved. We do. We're not trying to manipulate it, but we do want to to create an environment in which your emotions will be stirred. We want your mind to be stirred and moved. We want to challenge you intellectually as well. But we also want your will to be moved. For you to make a decision. When you walk in here, hear the word of God. When it's preached, as the Holy Spirit moves upon you, as you gather with God's people, we want you to move from this place, this delusion that we all have, that we and ourselves are sufficient enough. We want to be moved from that to the place where we are sold that Jesus' sufficiency alone is going to get us where we need to get to. We want to be moved each and every week that this world does not have everything that's going to satisfy my soul. It's got a lot of great stuff, and we should take joy in what God has given us here. It's not going to satisfy my soul. Be moved from there to the place where we're looking forward to in the surety of the hope that is to come when Jesus returns. Oh, Wildwood, I want you to be stirred. I want you to respond to the Lord as he leads you. And if that means that you need to tell me no on something, then tell me no. If that means that God is leading you to withhold a financial gift to this church in order to give to some other cause, then so be it. As the Lord stirs you, say, yes, Lord. We have a whole bunch of people saying, yes, Lord. Uh, We're going to be fine. First thing we want is a heart that is stirred by God. I won't go there, but later on, if you have time, go to uh, uh, Ezra. Ezra. Uh, chapter 1, you can read the first five verses and you can see how this played out in, uh, in, in their time as well. The second thing we want for you is a passionate pursuit of God. A responsive heart stirred by God, a passionate pursuit of God. This is what we call making disciples. Folks, we've said this a million times, but the pursuit of God begins with conversation because all relationships are built on two-way communication. All relationships are built on two-way communication. Talking and listening. Listening and talking. If one person is doing all the talking, it's not a relationship. In in your pursuit of God, it starts. It doesn't end, but it starts. It begins with conversation with God. So take those two areas. Talk to God through prayer. Listen to God as you read His Word. Set aside a portion of each day 
in which you can take just a few minutes in order to read a portion of God's word, set aside time in which you can talk to God. Some of us like to use a prayer list, a prayer guide, if you will. It's things that we're praying specifically for in the lives of other people. That's great. It's nothing um, extra spiritual about it. It just serves as, as, a, as a roadmap in order to, to talk to God in some very specific ways um, uh, uh, that others may have some, uh, some needs. But do not neglect the pure talking to God. I've shared this before, but years ago, I got so disciplined in my prayer life that I was praying through these lists. It was all wonderful. I had these cards. I had this elaborate system made out. Good stuff. Glad um, God used. But I realized I had missed the heart of a child talking to his father. And it had become uh, almost exclusively, let me just pray on behalf of other people. Now, it's a good thing to pray on behalf of other people. But I was missing out on just a son sitting in the presence of his father and talking about his day. God brought about a book called A Praying Life from a man named Paul Miller. Major shift in my prayer life. Talk to God in prayer. Read God's word. Listen to him. Psalm 145, 18 says this, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord is near when you pray. When you call on him, the Lord is near. You may not always feel like he is near. He is near. So talk to him. Deuteronomy 8.3, as he humbled you and let you hunger and feed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from mouth of God. How do we truly live? By the word of God. I don't have time to go through it. I'm going to get with the tech team and we'll figure out how to get this into your hands. But George Barna does research. And he, along with the American Bible Society, gave a State of the Bible report in America in 2021. Can I tell you how encouraged I am by it? Bible reading in America is up. In this last year, seven out of 10 people in America declare that they believe that the Bible is actually God's word may not mean the same thing that you and I say about it, but they believe it is not just an ordinary document. And over half of Americans this last year, on their own, outside of a, of a, of a religious service, picked up the Bible and read it. I'm telling you, God is stirring. We have an opportunity. So read his word and talk to him. Passionate pursuit. Number three, a deep connection with God's people. A deep connection with God's people. We call this caring deeply for one another. Two aspects of this. Number one, just meet together with regularity. Consistently meet with God's people. Please hear me. I do not want to be misunderstood. I certainly don't want to be misquoted. If at all possible... Make your way in person to the service here on Sunday mornings. If you can't make it, don't sweat it. We have an electronic, ver uh, whatever, video version. You can get it online. Do it that way. That's fine. God is, has many wonderful people that are for good reasons and right reasons at home. If you don't have a good reason and right reason, don't stay home. Be here. There is something about the presence of God's people that you cannot simulate. Amen. 
So meet with regularity. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So meet together with regularity. But number two, take a risk through vulnerability. A friend of mine gave a, a, a distinction um, in this way that I find to be very helpful. There's a difference between being honest and being vulnerable or being transparent and being vulnerable. Transparent, you can see right through me and I can be honest about all the, the things that have happened in my life, but most of them have come to resolution and you can no longer use this information in order to harm me. But being vulnerable means I'm going to share some information with you that if you choose to use it in such a manner as to bring damage to me, you could. In other words, vulnerability is about a risk that I take with people. I'm going to put my heart at some level into your hands and say, I trust you. Take a risk with God's people. You probably have already experienced this, but you'll never be loved like you'll be loved by God's people. You'll never be more wounded than you will be by God's people. But no one will love you like God's people. Do you know why? Because God's people are God's. God is the one who enables them to love you like he loves you. And oftentimes the way he gives you and me a kiss is through other people. So meet regularly with others and then take a risk through vulnerability. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of God. Finally, number four, what we want for you is a burning zeal for God's mission. I referenced it earlier in terms of America, turning towards the Bible, believing that God's word has something there for their lives. Most Americans believe America would be worse off without the Bible. Only a very small percentage believes that America would be better off without the Bible. Do you know what that means for us? It means that for us, there are most people walking around out there right now who, who do not know who God is, who do not know how to connect with him, who believe that this word right here that holds the power I am not ashamed of the gospel for it has the power of God for salvation. This thing right here has the power to do in the life of someone else what we can't. Even if they don't believe it's God's word, guess what? It's still a sword of the spirit. And it has power. So I want to trust it. So my friends, step out. In the same way that Jesus had compassion on others, Matthew 9 Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel and kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his harvest, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Oh, I pray that you would have the same kind of compassion that Jesus had for others, not seeing others as the pitiful enemy, seeing others as in desperate need of the person of Jesus. Not that we would shy away from a world, but rather that we would step into a world. 
It was Jesus' compassion. It was also Paul's concern in Acts 17. Now Paul was waiting for them at Athens and his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. He saw the idols and he thought to himself, how worthless, how meaningless, how hopeless. So let me get into their hands the truth about Jesus. You don't have to be a great evangelist. You just have to know the story and then just share it with others. People primarily want something from us. Primarily, God wants something for us. And so primarily, Wildwood wants four things for you.